All right, good morning and welcome to our weekly Bible prophecy update on Sunday mornings. We have two services, the first of which is for the Bible prophecy update, and the second service is our verse-by-verse -verse study, where we're currently going through 2 Timothy. We certainly encourage you to join with us. Today it will be live-streamed at 11.15 a.m. Hawaii time, and today I'm going to talk about those times in our lives when difficulty and hardship seemingly contradict the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. You ever had those times where everything around you is just, I mean, in disarray, and it causes you to doubt and even question the goodness of God? We're going to talk about that today. Uh, also, if you haven't already, you might want to check out our new website at jdfarag.org. And one more thing before we get started, we need prayer. <laughs> we need a miracle, actually. And we wanted to make this appeal for prayer concerning the relocation of the cell antennas on our building. And uh, please know that we've done all of the due diligence on our end legally. We've crossed every T, dotted every I, and now we just have to commit it to the Lord. And uh, it is going to take prayer and it is going to take a miracle for those antennas to be taken off of our building. Now, when we're asking for prayer, we're asking for specific prayer. And what we're appealing to you as our online church for is praying specifically that they find a new location as soon as possible and remove the antennas from our building. I am looking forward to when I can stand up here, uh, as is my privilege to, and share with you how God did it, the way God did it, and that only the Lord will receive all the glory. So thank you in advance for those of you that will uh, pray for us specifically in that regard. All right, let's get to it. We have a lot to get to today. Oh my goodness. I want to do something just a little bit different and zero in on one specific prophecy in the Bible found in the book of Revelation. This last week as I was seeking the Lord, as I always do, concerning what it is that He would have me to talk about for the prophecy update, I received an email from an online member about something that I'd actually been working on for several weeks, sitting on, uh, praying about, and sort of waiting for the Lord to give me the green light. And then when that email came in, it really confirmed to me that I was to talk about this today. And what I want to talk about is what I'm going to call the great setup. It's the great setup that is leading to the great reset, which we've talked about on many occasions prior, namely from WEF, the World Economic Forum, the Great Reset, which is actually a misnomer. It's not really a reset. It's a transition and transformation to set up a global economy, and everything now is being set up for that. Bible prophecy tells us that this global economy will be controlled by none other than the Antichrist during the seven-year tribulation. However, in order for a new global economy to be established, there first has to be a controlled demolition of the current economy. And I'll explain what I mean by that. I truly believe that COVID-19 is the explosive being set up to take down the current economy vis-a-vis -a, -vis a hyperinflationary trigger. Um, I want to ask you to join me in Revelation chapter 6. I want to read verses 5 through 8, but I want to preface it this way. Don't let the enemy, because I have a lot of 
technical uh, data and information that I want to share with you today in the context of what Bible prophecy tells us. And I know what's going to happen. It happens to me all the time. The enemy will try to put a thought in your mind that this is, you know, kind of above your pay grade, that it's, it's too technical. I really can't really understand that. Don't let him do that to you. Listen, if I can understand this, you can understand this. And I'm not just saying that. I really mean that. I, I have a, only a high school education, actually barely a high school education. I'm not proud of that. But if I can understand this, you can understand this. So don't let the enemy do that to you. Revelation chapter 6, I'll begin in verse 5. John is writing, and by the Holy Spirit is describing what he sees with these judgments that are poured out. And he says, when the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand, weights and measures, balances, the scales. This was how they bought and sold. They would use these scales. It was commerce. Then, verse 6, I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. Oil and wine are a picture in Scripture of wealth. In other words, the elite, the wealthy, unaffected, inconsequential. They're not in any way harmed, and there's no damage. But it seems like when this seal is opened, that it will take a full day's pay just to buy the ingredients, the ingredients to make a loaf of bread. That's called hyperinflation. Hang on to that. We'll come back to that. Verse 7, when the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked. And there before me was a pale horse. In the original Greek, it's the word chloros from where we get the English word chlorine or chlorophyll a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. And get this, they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. So it seems like that when the third seal is open, there's going to be this hyperinflation, this famine that spills over into the opening of the fourth seal. And it will be so severe, the likes of which we've never seen before. I think of what Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel 24, it's recorded, that the tribulation that is coming will be like nothing anyone has ever seen prior. It's going to be so severe and when this seal is opened, just try to wrap your mind around this number. Now, let's just say for purpose of discussion that the population of the earth is at 8 billion. We don't know how many people will go up in the rapture, but let's just, for purpose of, just so it makes it simple for me to calculate, <laughs> keep it at 8, 8 billion. A fourth? Is that not 2 billion with a B people that die? When this seal is opened, two billion people. If you'll kindly allow me to, I'd like to share from the online member's email, which is a 12-step outline, or if you prefer, a plan right out of the playbook of the Antichrist. Again, God's given you an intellect. I want you to think through this and comprehend this. Okay, number one, create a debt bubble 
through an expansion of the monetary base, the classic definition of inflation. This has been occurring since 1971 when the U.S. closed the gold window. Number two, in order to keep a system like this from collapsing, the monetary base must increase exponentially. In an exponentially increasing system, the money creation graph goes vertical at the end. Here's a quick analogy. I really appreciated this analogy. If you put a drop of water on the pitcher's mound of Yankee Stadium and double it every minute, then the stadium would be about five feet deep in 44 minutes and full in 49 minutes. With exponential expansion, the increases in money supply get insane just before the system fails. That's where we're at now. Number three, the consequence of an increasing monetary base is rising prices, so governments will have to mask the rising prices by manipulating the consumer price index, CPI data. Number four, this manipulation works until the monetary creation goes vertical due to the exponential expansion requirement. I believe this vertical spike began in March of this year. Number five, when this happens, it would typically lead quickly to hyperinflation. The economic formula for price inflation has two variables, the monetary base and the velocity of money. The velocity of money is the turnover rate of the currency through the economy. If you're going to rapidly expand the monetary base and don't want the public to realize that you're destroying currency, then you must slow the velocity of money. I believe this is why we're locking down for COVID. Think about this. It cuts economic activity to prevent a price spike that would clue people in that the currencies are being destroyed. This lockdown is critical so that governments can maintain the illusion of a strong currency while they are acquiring the economic means of production. Number six, governments, and this is what we're seeing happen right now, governments start buying corporate debt because bondholders have priority in bankruptcy over equity holders, stocks. This is a backdoor of sorts to the economic transition and transformation as the government seizes the means of production. Number seven, legislatures can't figure out how to support small and mid-sized businesses, thus killing off the competition of the large corporations that are benefiting from government debt purchases. This leaves little option for purchases outside government-owned entities. Ah, that's why the restaurants have to shut down. That's why these ma and pa stores have to shut down. I, I, I'm sorry, you'll forgive me, but it is a controlled demolition. It's very deliberate. It's very intentional. It's very planned. Number eight, the governments will be part owner of these private corporations and as a result, whisper policy to their management teams, much like the Qantas CEO calling for mandatory vaccines for travel. This will insulate governments from civil liberty issues, much like the First Amendment and big tech. Think Revelation 13, unable to buy and sell. Uh, last week we talked about this. Um, we we uh, uh, looked at an article out of Israel, actually. We can't force you to take the vaccine, but here's what we will do. What, what will you do? Oh, uh, we're not going to force you, but Amazon will. Airlines will. 
So you can't buy, sell, or trade without the vaccine. Come on. Number nine. As most of the economy is gutted, people will become desperate and some form of universal basic income, UBI, we've talked about this as well, will be instituted. This will accelerate, this is interesting, the velocity of money and accelerate the price rise. In addition, we'll, we'll likely see a banking crisis and vastly more currency creation as central banks attempt to keep the banking system from collapsing. These events will lead to the hyperinflationary collapse of the monetary system, according to their plans. Number 10, the monetary collapse may wipe out almost everyone financially. And I suspect those insightful enough to position themselves for a hyperinflation will be slapped with some confiscation confiscatory taxes, because in a tyranny, the law is simply the will of the tyrant. Number 11, in a true Hegelian dialectic, I suspect that they'll allow the population to suffer for a time until enough die and become desperate enough to give absolute power to the guy with the solution, the Antichrist. And number 12, finally, I suspect the solution, you know, the Hegelian dialectic is create the crisis, control the reaction, and then offer the solution. I suspect the solution will be a centrally controlled digital currency, crypto. And if you want to buy or sell, then you'll require the fourth industrial revolution technology, which is what the World Economic Forum is all about which will likely include both a digital and genetic modification component, potentially through this COVID vaccine or a subsequent one. At the beginning of his email, he wrote, I think that Genesis 47, 15 through 26, provides a good example of how people will respond when the money fails. Only in this case, their submission will be to the Antichrist. Let me draw your attention to Genesis 47. I want to read verses 15 through 20. So when the money failed in the land, the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us bread. For why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. Then Joseph said, give your livestock and I will give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle of the herds and for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. When that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord, but listen, our bodies, ourselves, and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land by us and our land for bread. And we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then verse 20, Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them, so the land became Pharaoh's. Here's where I'm going with this. What we just read paints this profound prophetic picture 
of exactly what's coming. I'll even take it a step further and suggest that it's already here. And this profound prophetic picture is painted on the canvas of Bible prophecy and typology. By typology, I mean the seven-year famine is a type of the coming seven-year tribulation. And Joseph is a type of Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. Not only does this type paint a picture of Jesus Christ as our Savior, so too does it paint a picture of the pre-tribulation rapture. What follows is an abbreviated list, and actually, if you want, you can, uh, for those of you here, go online. For those of you online, the link will be below to a PDF file of the complete list. I think there's almost a hundred of these. Uh, some of you are looking at me, you're going to do a hundred? No, we're not going to do a hundred. <laughs> We'd be here too long. So we're going to do 98. No, we're not going to do 98. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't count, but we're going to go through uh, a number of them. Uh, so this is an abbreviated list of how Joseph is a type of the Savior, a type of Christ, and how the church as the bride of Christ will be taken out prior to the seven-year tribulation. And that's not all. Hope that doesn't sound like an infomercial. <laughs> and that's not all. It will also paint a poignant picture of how the nation of Israel is saved in the midst of the seven-year tribulation. So I'll go through this quickly starting with this one first. And by the way, all the scripture references will be on that file in that link. Joseph was loved by his father. Jesus is the beloved son of the father. Joseph suffered as a servant. Jesus was called the suffering servant. Joseph was hated because of his dream of ruling over them. Jesus is hated for one day ruling and reigning over all. Joseph was rejected by his own brothers. With Jesus, his own rejected him. They received him not. With Joseph, even Israel would bow down to him. With Jesus, all Israel will eventually bow down to him. With Joseph, they plotted to kill him, when they saw him from afar, so too they plotted how they might kill Jesus. Joseph was betrayed and sold for pieces of silver. Jesus, by Judas, was betrayed and sold for pieces of silver. Joseph had his coat dipped in blood. Jesus was dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Joseph was stripped of his coat. Jesus was stripped of his robe. Joseph was cast into an empty pit. Jesus was placed into an empty tomb. Joseph was falsely accused before Potiphar. Jesus was falsely accused before Pilate. Joseph did not defend himself against the charges. Jesus did not defend himself against the charges. Joseph was in prison next to two criminals. Jesus was on the cross with two criminals. With Joseph, one prisoner perishes, one is saved. With Jesus, one thief, as we refer to them, perishes, the other is saved. Joseph foretells the raising up after three days. Jesus foretells his raising to life after three days. Joseph tells the cupbearer to remember him after he's raised up. Jesus tells them to remember him with the cup after he's raised up. With Joseph, there are two dreams with two elements, the cup and the bread. We affectionately refer 
to them as the uh, baker and the butler, the cupbearer. Well, that's the cup and the bread. That's communion. The two elements, the bread and the cup. With Jesus, there are two elements at the Last Supper, the cup and the bread. Joseph tells them he's done nothing to be put in the dungeon. Pilate tells them Jesus has done nothing to be put on the cross. Joseph prophetically reveals a seven-year famine. Jesus is prophetically revealed in the seven-year tribulation. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Joseph, and this is in Genesis 41-45, pre-famine takes an Egyptian bride. He takes an Egyptian bride before the seven-year famine, and so too will Jesus take His Gentile bride before the seven-year tribulation. Born sons come to Joseph before the seven-year famine. Born-again sons of God come to Jesus before the seven-year tribulation. Joseph went from the dungeon to the throne. Jesus went from the tomb to the throne. Joseph was 30 years of age when he began his work. Jesus was 30 years of age when he began his public ministry. Joseph was the only bread of life source for the world physically. Jesus is the only source for the bread of life for the world spiritually. All who came to Joseph would live and not die. All who call upon Jesus will be saved and not perish. Joseph's brothers come to him in the midst of the famine. Israel comes to Jesus, their true Messiah, in the midst of the tribulation. Ten brothers are brought to Joseph for provision. Ten commandments bring us to Jesus for justification. Joseph's brothers, when saved, bow down to him. Israel, Jesus' brothers, will be saved and bow down to him. Joseph's brothers are released from prison on the third day. The Jews will be restored on the third day. I need to maybe expound on this one a little bit. This is more typology. You know where Peter says that a day to the Lord is like 1,000 years for us? And again, the rising again on the third day. Well, there's a prophecy in Hosea. It's chapter. What does that mean? Oh, 2,000 years, two days. But on the third day, the morning of the third day, they will be restored and brought back to life. One of the reasons that people get in trouble with the interpretation of Scripture, specifically as it relates to a pre-tribulation rapture, is they muddy the waters, they blur the line between the church and Israel. And if you start messing with that, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to get in trouble. <laughs> Don't you hate that? You're going to get in trouble. I'm, I'm, you're in trouble with me if you do that. <laughs> Don't do that. You can't do that. God has a plan for the Jew. God is not through with the Jew. And by the way, you don't want him to be through with the Jew. You know why? Because he has a covenant with the Jew. So what? Well, he has a covenant with me and you too. I know that's not proper English. Don't email me. So if God has a covenant with the Jew, and he does, and God's through with the Jew, then might I ask you, how secure are you? Get it? God's not through with the Jew. And that's an Arab telling you that, by the way. God has a plan for His people. And once the church is removed, God shifts the entirety of His focus to the nation of Israel, the restoration of Israel, the salvation of Israel, which is the purpose of the tribulation. Come on, you guys know this. 
the purpose of the tribulation for the salvation of the Jewish nation. Everybody now. <laughs> was that rap? That was close. I don't know. That's, that's as good as it gets. So take, take it. I'd take it and run. The purpose of the tribulation is for the salvation of the Jewish nation. Here's a question for anyone who wants to take issue with the sound doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture. What would be the purpose of the bride of Jesus Christ to enter in and go through the seven-year tribulation? Oh, I can answer that. Okay, go ahead. Here's your answer. You know what your answer is? Well, we have to purify ourselves and improve ourselves. Wait, 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 wait. What? Oh, no, you didn't. Oh, yes, you did. You just said it's by works. You just moved from grace to works. You better rip Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 out of your Bible. And while you're at it, you better rip large portions of your Bible out of your Bible. I don't mean to... Too late. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We're saved by grace through faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Can you imagine? I, I'm boasting about how I made it through the seven-year tribulation. Whoa, I'm not worthy. That's works. Oh, you earned it, did ya? Ah, I might as well. Let's Lord, let my words be seasoned with grace. Have you heard about the partial rapture theory? Oh, I guess that answers that question. Here's what the partial rapture theory is. That only those that are on fire for the Lord, walking close to the Lord, are going to be taken up in the rapture by the Lord. Really? Wait, let me, just give me a second on that one. <laughs> that means that I have to earn it then. That's works again. Now you're saying that there's something I have to do. <laughs> no, no, there's not. It's already been done. I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to see this here in a moment. It is finished. Period. Not comma. It's finished. It's done. It's a done deal. Oh, it's done? Yeah. Nothing I have to do? No, it's done. It's finished. Nothing you can do. I mean, come on. Don't I have to, I mean, no. You're saved by grace. Not grace and, not grace plus. No, you're saved by grace. Period. No, no, nothing you can do. I, you know, okay, one last thing and then we'll move on. I've got to be careful with how many last things, but um, I like to, you know, I used to be a lot more militant when I was younger, had more energy. I think as I get older, I, I'm calming down a little bit. Some of you are going, that's, that's calm? Wow. Um, but I, I just want to say to my brother and sister in Christ, who doesn't believe that the rapture has to happen before the seven-year tribulation, I just want to be able to say, um, you know, there's coming a day very soon when I'm going to be able to say to you, I told you so. It won't be on the way up because there won't be enough time. It's going to be in the twinkling of an eye. I won't have time, but I, I'm, I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll get a chance. No, you're not. <laughs> That's totally the flesh. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> After the rapture, we're not going to care. But I do want to say to anyone, and I say this in love. I know I'm being snarky, but you're going to be raptured prior to the seven-year tribulation, whether you like it or not. Yeah, but I don't think it's at the beginning of the, you know, if I was God, which is why I'm not, <laughs> and thank God I'm not God, and thank God you're not God either. 
Because I would say, oh, you don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture? Okay. You want to go through the tribulation? All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I need to repent, don't I, after that? <laughs> we better move on here. Of Joseph, Reuben says, his blood is now required of us. Of Jesus, they said, let his blood be upon us. Joseph wept over his brothers. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Joseph's brothers delay in coming to him. Israel delays in coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Joseph was offered gifts of spices and myrrh. Jesus was offered gold, spices, and myrrh. Joseph desired to break bread with his brothers in his home. Jesus fervently desires to break bread with us in his kingdom. Eleven of Joseph's brothers were innocent of betraying him at his table. Eleven of Jesus' disciples were innocent of betraying him at his table. In the end, Joseph is revealed to his brothers. So too, in the end, Jesus will reveal himself to Israel. They were dismayed when they looked at him. Israel will mourn when they look upon him. Joseph was sent to Egypt to save. Jesus was sent to the world to save. Israel believed and said of Joseph, it is enough. To all who believe, Jesus said, it is finished. And lastly, Israel said, my son is yet alive. They said, Jesus, the son is alive. I mean, is that... <laughs> The reason I wanted to go through these with you is because it's just really, really cool. Well, that's not the only reason, but isn't that amazing? Actually, the reason I wanted to go through all of this is because the seven-year famine prophetically parallels the seven-year tribulation. If you'll hang in there with me, I'll expound on this and explain this. When you see all the conditions for the seven-year tribulation happening now prior to the seven-year tribulation, is that not an indication of just how close we are? We're already seeing the beginning of this hyperinflation. We're already seeing this controlled demolition, collapsing of the global economy to bring in the one world economy and government cashless. I truly believe with all my heart that the trigger is just about to be pulled. And this, by virtue of the fact that the aforementioned COVID explosives are in place. This was planned many, many years ago. We've been talking about this for the better part of this year, about how this is all scripted. It's all planned. And we have forensic evidence that proves it. This was a deliberate agenda and plan to completely collapse world governments, and economies. And not only that, in addition to collapsing the economies of the world and the governments of the world, it's also going to unite the religions of the world. As the online member said it, I believe they've blown the monetary bubble as big as they can, and COVID is the pin to pop it. You'll forgive my use of a sports metaphor, but we're not in the final seconds of the game anymore, nor are we in overtime anymore. We're in sudden death. You know what that means? The next score ends the game. It's game over. 
I believe this created crisis is that. And it may be that which ushers in the Antichrist, and with him the dawn of the new age. Why do you say it like that, Pastor? For a reason. I'll explain why. It's the age of Aquarius, the new age, the golden dawn, the dawn of the new age, the great awakening into the light, out of the darkness into the light. It's a false light. It's a Luciferian light, which is what Lucifer means, by the way, light bearer. It's a false light. He appears as an angel of light. And when he appears in the form of the Antichrist, he will possess this man. Satan will possess this man, the Antichrist, Satan himself, not demons. He will be satanically possessed. You have to understand that Satan has always desired to be worshipped, right? From the beginning. That's his sole goal, is to be worshipped. And so there is this, I'm going to call it a new age, although it's been around for a while, but it's, it's kind of, how do I say it? It's been repackaged, for lack of a better way of saying it the new age, the new dawn of a new age, a new beginning, a great awakening into the light, out of the darkness, order out of chaos. You can call it whatever you want, put whatever label on it you want. It's all the same thing. The great reset, the great awakening, they're all the same. But it's the great deception. Yesterday, as I was preparing, praying, studying, researching, I happened upon a writing by Alice Bailey. I don't know if you've heard of her or not. She's been referred to as the mother of the New Age movements. She wrote a book, The Reappearance of the Christ. Here's a quote. Listen to this. Some hard blow or some difficult presentation of the truth is badly needed if the Christian world is to be awakened. And if Christian people are to recognize their place, listen to this, within a worldwide global divine relation and see Christ as representing all the faiths and taking his rightful place as world teacher. He is the world teacher and not a Christian teacher. Oh, some blow, some hard. It's going to take some hard blow for Christians to realize that Jesus is not a Christian teacher, I guess. He's not a Christian teacher. He's a world teacher. Well, I, I suppose the question becomes, what is this hard blow that you're referring to? Well, we need look no further than to what she writes as she continues, quote, they come in times of crisis. They frequently create crisis in order to bring an end to the old and the undesirable and make way for new and more suitable forms for the evolving life of God imminent in nature. They come when evil is rampant. This is the reason, if for no other, an avatar, I'd encourage you to look up the definition of avatar, may be looked for today. The necessary stage is set, I'm going to add up, set up, for the reappearance of the Christ. Wow. 
Okay, this is wrong on every level. <laughs> we have a huge problem here. The problem is this new age Christ is the false Christ, the Antichrist, and not Jesus Christ. And this great awakening, or great reset, or whatever you want to call it, is actually the great deception that brings about the great tribulation. I was thinking about this this last week. It's actually been on my mind for a number of weeks now. When you talk about the signs of the end, a lot of th things come to mind. Of course, Israel's rebirth as a nation, certainly at the top of the list. Earthquakes increasing in frequency and intensity. I mean, we have our list, right, of all the signs. And usually it's taken from Matthew 24, when Jesus was asked, what will be the signs of the end and, the, and your return? And then Jesus answers them, and he says, there are going to be famines and pestilence and wars and rumors of wars and, and nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be ethnic uprisings, racial uprisings and wars. There's going to be earthquakes in different places, and these are just going to be like birth pains that come in greater frequency, greater intensity. So we're, we're all familiar with those signs. But do you know what he said first before he said all of that? He said these words, let no man deceive you. <laughs> Many Christs, false Christs are going to come. Don't be deceived. Think this through with me. Wouldn't it stand a reason that one of the number one signs of the end would be deception? And who's the target of that deception? Think about this. It's not the world. They're already deceived. Wait a minute. If it's not the world, then me? Yeah. You? Yeah. We, the Christians, chiefly are the ones that are going to be deceived. Question. Have you noticed that there are no books by these Luciferians, and these are Luciferians. There are no books about the reappearance of Muhammad. There are no books about the reappearance of Buddha. Why is it always about Jesus Christ? I have another question, if you don't mind. Why is it that every time we curse, we take the name of my Lord and Savior, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? You know what I want to do? I want to be an equal opportunity blasphemer. Next time I hit my thumb with a hammer, I'm going to say, ah, Muhammad! Ah! That doesn't work. Why doesn't that work? Because Muhammad is a false prophet. Islam, a false religion. And Allah, a false god. That's not the title god. That's the name of their god, Allah. False god. These are false religions. And oh, by the way, if I can kind of connect a couple dots here, do you know why it is that you're never going to see a book about the reappearance of Muhammad or Buddha or anybody else? It's only going to be Jesus Christ, because He's the genuine. There are no such thing as false Muhammads. There are no such thing as false Buddhas. You're not going to counterfeit that which is not genuine and authentic. That's why you don't see a counterfeit $70 bill. That's not going to work. There's no such thing as a genuine. I know this is, this is how my mind works, so pray for me, please. <laughs> right? No, this makes sense, right? Why, why do you see counterfeit $100 bills? Because $100 bills are genuine. 
The counterfeit authenticates and validates the genuine. That's why, that's why there's false Christs, counterfeit Christs. And make no mistake about it, Satan is the master counterfeiter. He's the master deceiver. And he seeks to deceive Christians. He's already deceived the world. Chiefly, his goal is to deceive you and me. And it's so subtle. Why do you think it is that replete throughout New Testament Scripture, the warning, the exhortation is one after the other. Don't be deceived unless being deceived was possible. Even the elect. The days have to be shortened for the sake of the elect. For anyone who might be thinking, wow, what are we going to do now? <laughs> I mean, you just, thanks a lot. You just ruined my day. You ruined my Christmas. And financial collapse, the economy is going to collapse, and you know, we're going <laughs> to, what are we going to do? No. God's people don't ever beg bread. God will always provide. And by the way, this is why it's so important to not only know what you believe, but why you believe what you believe. Uh, Spoiler alert, we're not going to be here. Oh, that's escapism. I know, I want to escape. It's the great escape. It's the rapture. Right? Okay, this one last thing, last thing. And we talked about this on Thursday night in the Song of Solomon, about the Bride of Christ and the typology again of the pre-tribulation rapture and the ancient Jewish weddings, and how the bridegroom would go to his father's house and prepare a bridal chamber, a place, and then he would come back at an hour that nobody knew. The bride always had to be ready, and he would snatch away his bride and take her to this place that he prepared for her, and they would consummate and celebrate for seven, seven days, slash years. As one humorously quipped, while the world is tribulating, we'll be celebrating for seven, the number of completion. And then when that seven is completed, the bride emerges from the bridal chamber, and they have this huge feast. It's called the wedding feast of the Lamb. Can't wait. Guys, food in heaven, I'm telling you right now. After the seven. Think about it like this. When Jesus at that last supper said, this is the blood of the new covenant, that's a marriage covenant. That was our engagement, the betrothal. And now we're just waiting for our bridegroom to come and take us, snatch us away, rapture us away. Now, if you're anything like me, I suspect that you are. It's like, I can't wait. Right? Oh, Lord, please come. Have you ever thought about it like this? He can't wait either. What? No. You know, in Luke's Gospel 22, twice he says, I eagerly await, fervently desire, when what we're doing here will find its fulfillment in my kingdom. I can't wait. I know as a fallen sinner of a groom, before my wife and I got married, I counted the days down. Literally, I X'd them off my calendar. This is before Google Calendar, so it was, a, it was an actual calendar. Couldn't wait until our wedding day. 
You ever thought about it like that? This is the gospel, you know. The gospel is good news. And it's not that Jesus came and died and was crucified and buried and rose again on the third day. That's not the whole story. (laughs) The whole story is, yes, Jesus came, He was crucified, He was buried, He rose again on the third day, and He's coming back again one day. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't be discouraged. Don't be fearful. We're going to talk about that more second service in Second Timothy. Don't be fearful. God's going to always provide for you. Yeah, but pastor, it's getting pretty <laughs> scary. I know. I don't know what we're going to do. What if it gets worse between now and the rapture? You don't think the Lord knows that? The Lord knows. Whatever it is that you need, He'll provide. One minute spent in fear is one minute wasted. I want to share the ABCs of salvation, especially for anyone who might be here or watching online that has never called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. But before we do, I want to share with you, I mean, this is amazing. Only God could do this. It comes from Jim and Chris Cote and their company, The Master's Touch. Jim and Chris are dear, dear friends of mine, have been for over 35 years. God has blessed their business, which is really their ministry. And they're both local and online members. Jim writes, The Lord has blessed Chris and I with a printing and mailing organization that has the ability to produce millions of custom mail pieces. I have always felt the Lord could use this as a tool for His purpose, but I never knew how. When J.D. mentioned billboards for advertising the ABCs, it hit me. I can utilize the mail to reach out to people in a proactive way to communicate the ABCs. Of course, I could rent a mail list and blast a bunch of unknown people, but then I thought, why not allow church members to reach out to their friends and family that they may have had difficulty reaching or opening a conversation with and share the gospel with them in anonymity by putting the ABCs directly in their mailbox. They can't easily ignore a mail piece in their mailbox. Basically, use the U.S. Postal Service to put a tract in every mailbox. So, we created a website, themastersmail.org. It's there on the screen if the guys will put it up. And then also, uh, it's down below in the description. You can click on that link. You'll go to this website. We would encourage you to do so because you can enter the names of up to five people you know and want to reach that are not saved, that you want to share the gospel with. The Master's Touch LLC will then take those names and will create a mail piece to send to them. Research tells us that multiple exposures to the same message is normally needed before a person will react to the message. Thus, even though any single mail piece is all that is needed to communicate the gospel, we intend to provide at least three direct mail pieces to each person in order to hopefully gain their attention long enough to give serious consideration of the gospel message. There is no cost to anyone for this service. Also, we would ask that each person prayerfully consider contacting those people they give to us to follow up with them. In fact, you will have a door opener as such on the third mail piece, which simply says the mail piece has been sent to them from someone who loves them very much. A perfect opening for you to contact them. 
If this is beyond your comfort zone, and for those whom you may not know well enough to have one-on-one, they will also be referred to the jdfarag.org site as a place they can go to for further information. The goal is to use each mail piece to succinctly communicate the gospel while using each mail piece to simply open a door for them to dig further for answers. So the link again there on the screen and below is themastersmail.org. They set up this site especially for you and anyone who would like at no cost, by the way, you can enter up to five addresses of five people. Now, there's, if somebody's watching, they get one of these, oh, who sent it? Well, you'll find out, <laughs> Lord willing. But uh, the Master's Touch LLC will send out this first of three mail pieces. And you'll notice on there, on the front, it says, what is the world coming to? That's a good question. That's a question on a lot of people's minds. Wouldn't you agree? Then they turn it over, and here's the answer. What is the world coming to? An end. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Then it has the ABCs of salvation and the follow-up with our new jdfrog.org website on the bottom. So I was so excited to share this with you, and I hope that you will take advantage of this. And for those of you online, go to this website. The link is below. Enter in the address or addresses of those that you would like to receive these mail pieces, starting with this first one. And then more importantly, pray, 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 pray. Pray as the mail piece is being sent out. Pray that God will go before you in this, and that when they receive this, that God will just move on their hearts. You know, I, I, I'm sorry if I'm sounding melodramatic, but th- this is life and death. We're dealing with life and death here for all eternity. The stakes have never been higher, and the opportunity never greater in this period of human history. What are the ABCs of salvation? If you're still watching online, I know you're still here because you haven't got up and left yet. (laughs) So we're good for now. Just give me a couple more minutes if you wouldn't mind. It's just a simple childlike explanation of salvation. The A is for admit that you're a sinner in need of the Savior. Acknowledge your sin. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. It's because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. But, here's the good news, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a gift we receive. We don't pay for it. He did in full. Cost him everything. And he paid in full the price and purchased us in his blood. And he offers to us as a gift that which he purchased for us, the gift of eternal life. The B is for believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. The jury is no longer out. The verdict is in. You will be saved. And then the C lastly is for call upon the name of the Lord. Or as Romans 10, 9 and 10 also says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And here's why. Verse 10, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And lastly, Romans 10, 13, 
All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's that simple. Arguably too simple. Which I think is a stumbling block for some. No, there's got to be more to it than that. What's the catch? There's no catch. That's too easy, I know. Even a child could do it. That's what Jesus said. That's the whole point. Why don't you stand and we'll pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we cannot thank you enough. It's impossible, this side of glory, to ever express to you how grateful we are, how thankful we are for the gift of eternal life, the good news of salvation. Lord, I know that as I close in prayer, many who are hearing and watching this are really hurting right now, looking for answers, looking for hope. Jesus, will you be their answer? Will you be their hope? Will you reveal yourself to them? Give hope to them that they might open their hearts to you. Call upon you, believing in their heart, confessing with their mouth, turning to you, trusting in you for the forgiveness of sins. And one last thing, Lord. <laughs> and I think as I ask this and pray this, everyone here and watching would agree with this. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Maranatha. In Jesus' name, amen.